But um, welcome to church. So we are in, uh, as, as Jordan said, we're in the, the, the series called Tune In. And I want to encourage you, um, everything we're going to be doing in this series is going to build on basically where we were last week. Uh, so, so if you weren't here last week, if you weren't at the morning or the night service, I want to encourage you, uh, jump on this little thing that I invented called the internet. I didn't invent the internet. I'd be uh, driving a Lamborghini if I did. But uh, jump on the internet and go to our SoundCloud profile. you find that on our Facebook page. Um, and, and go along there and have a listen to the sermons from last week because I guarantee you there'll be something in it for you that you'll be like, wow, I didn't realize that about the world. I didn't realize that about, you know, spirits and demons. I didn't realize that there was all this stuff going on. And I promise you it won't freak you out too much. You're not going to walk away kind of being like, oh, what do I do? But it's, it's, it's encouraging and it's eye-opening. And, and we, need to, um, we need to be aware of what's going on around us in life, yeah? You don't want to be just at, at mercy of everything that's going on around you. I, imagine if you were walking through life and you never knew what a raincoat was, you know, and you were just always getting wet and you're always getting a cold and you're like, oh man, this sucks. Why does everyone else always seem to be healthy in winter? Sometimes we're like that. We, we, we've got the potential to find out about things. We've got the potential to have protection and, and to be in this place of, of not having to go through stuff. And yet sometimes we go outside and it's torrential rain and we're like, raincoat, nah, I'll be all right. Right, just put on the raincoat. Is that right? Very cool. Very cool. That wasn't in my notes. Uh, <laughs> this morning, tonight, deep breath. Tonight, uh, I want to talk to you about bitterness, which is an interesting topic, right? Who, who here was like, man, if I had a top five topics of things I'd like to hear people spree, uh, peach, <clears throat> peach about, uh, peaches, uh, to, that I would like to hear people speak about in church, bitterness would be one. Man, man, I love, I love hearing about bitterness, right? You know, just, you know, suffering and forgiveness and, and that just, oh, I love it, right? It's not, I don't know about you, but when I think of the top kind of five sermons that, are, that I like to hear people preach, for me, bitterness isn't one of them. But we need to realize that, that there are, there aren't many other things in the world that will rob you, that will steal from you the dreams that you have, that will take away the God-given destiny that you have like bitterness will. See, bitterness has the capacity to destroy your dreams and make God feel more distant. There aren't many other things that can do that in the same way. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 says this, Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. See, tonight I want to look at our life gardens, which is an interesting turn of phrase, right? Like who says, has anyone ever said that to you before? Hey, how's your life garden going? Just, just use that in the week. Walk up to someone and say, hey man, just wanted to catch up. Wondering, how's your life garden going? Right, but see, it, today I want to look and see where is it in our lives that bitterness is growing up? Right, where is it in our lives that, that a bitter root has taken hold? That something's starting to grow within you, something's starting to, to grow in your heart, and it's just starting to creep in. Has anyone here who here has got a garden at their house? You don't have to tend that garden, but there is some sort of garden, right? We've got some, some garden. Who here understands what a weed is? Like a, you know, grows. Who here has been amazed? You've been walking down the street, and you've seen like cobblestones and just a little plant growing out of them. Has anyone ever seen that before? You've been walking along, and you're like, hey, look weird, you know, that there's just a, a plant in the middle of the road. See, bitterness is like that. It's, it's this type of thing that it can, all it needs is just one little foothold, like Jordan said. 
One little purchase and it starts to grow. It starts to, to take over. And before we know it, the street that we had, that we used to be able to travel up and down, has got roots all over it and it's become a whole lot less passable. See, where is it in our life that a, a bitter root is growing? And, and the second thing I want to look at is, is what does this bitter root do to us? Right? How can we identify this bitter root? And the third thing I want to look at is what can we do about it? How do we deal with the bitterness in our lives? How do we pull this root out? How do we treat the problem? Cool? Awesome. Hey, bow your heads with me and let's pray. God, I thank you that we, uh, we have the honor and the privilege of coming here tonight, that we get to, to lean into what you're saying, that we get to tune in to hear what it is that you're saying to us. God, and we know that there are so many other things going on around us that there are so many things vying for our attention, God, so many things vying for our affections that, that want to take your place in our lives. And today we choose to lean in and hear what it is you have to say about hearing your voice. God, we want to be a people who can hear you say something and, and, and obey it, God. We want to be the people that can hear your still small voice and not miss it, God, but that we know that that's you talking. God, I, I pray that tonight as I'm speaking that this wouldn't be me, that it wouldn't be my words, but that you would do something in the space in between that our hearts would change, God, that we would leave here different than when we came in. In your name, amen. See, to understand bitterness, I think the first thing that we have to do is we have to understand suffering. But because so often what happens is that bitterness comes from suffering. Right, my first point this morning, ah, tonight, come on, it's still sunny? It's doing my, my clock's like, what's going on? Right, anyway, my first point tonight is that the root of bitterness often grows from the soil of suffering. See, in, in life, bad things happen. In, in life, horrible things happen. As most of you will know, and hopefully uh, you do know, today is Valentine's Day, right? Hopefully you're not unaware and you had a Valentine's date and you've missed it. If so, I'm sorry. Uh, but most of you know it's Valentine's Day. Right, which is usually a pretty happy day. Sometimes it's a little bit of a depressing day, depending on, you know, what your status is on Facebook. But I pray for all of you that, you know, you'll have more happy Valentines than sad Valentines. In fact, I'm sure that's the, the truth because you're all beautiful, beautiful people. Right, but, but for me, Valentine's Day is a little bit of a hard day. See, just before we came here to church the, uh, this afternoon, we were down at, at, at Macro Cemetery and we were burying the ashes of my nephew. Because today's his second birthday, except it should have been his second birthday, because about six months ago, he passed away. See, and, and I can tell you that's hard. I can tell you the first thing that I came up against when this whole thing happened was bitterness. The thing that got into my heart in an instant was this root of this, no, this doesn't make sense, this isn't fair, this doesn't work. I got angry at God. I got angry at the world. I got angry at myself. And all those emotions are fine. But there needs to be a place in our lives where we can realize that we've got bitterness in us and start to get it to let go. See, see the, the, the beauty of, of tonight for me is that, yes, yeah, something horrible has happened. But God's always going to bring life out of it. That, yes, yeah, something, something so, you know, that you would never dream of can happen. But at the same time, I've been in this place of bitterness. I've been in this place of suffering. And today I'm here to tell you that, that I've learned something and I think it can help us. See, today I'm here to tell you that, that I'm, I'm sure, and I haven't been this sure before, that God has given me a message for us right now that will change our lives. See, so turn with me, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. 
We're going to start at verse 3, and we'll chuck it up on the big screen. There we go. It says this. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Verse 4. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Verse 5. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. See, in Romans chapter 5, Paul is talking about suffering. Paul is talking about how we face suffering, and by extension, Paul is talking about bitterness. See, we have a funny kind of relationship with suffering, don't we? We, we often try and make sense of it. I know I do. We often try and, and work it out. Have you ever, ever heard anyone say everything happens for a reason? Yeah, I, I think the motivation behind that is, is always good, but, but no. Sometimes things happen and there's no reason. Because the subtext to that statement, everything happens for a reason, is that God did that for a reason. And see, see, what's going on here is that when someone encounters a, a career falling apart, oh, everything happens for a reason. When someone encounters betrayal, oh, everything happens for a reason. When, when someone encounters death, everything happens for a reason. And the problem is the implication of this is that God's favorite tool is suffering. That God brings suffering to us to, 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 to mold us, to shape us, which I'm not saying God doesn't allow it to, but I know in my life, Suffering can be divided into two camps, right? I suffer for one of two reasons. First reason, because I was stupid. Well, let's just be honest. Sometimes you suffer because you're straight dumb. Like you make mistakes. You go out in the sun, you don't put on sunscreen, you get sunburned, you're suffering. Sometimes it's a little bit more extreme than that, right? But, but so often in my life, I suffer. And, and yes, everything happens for a reason. In this case, that reason was my stupidity. Right? No, I did not make wise decisions. No, I did not listen to good advice. And here I am suffering. But, but the, other, the other type of suffering I've encountered, the other reason that, that I've suffered is, is sometimes things happen and they don't make sense. Sometimes things happen, suffering happens, and it was no one's fault. It was no one's fault that my nephew died. He wasn't sick. He wasn't badly looked after. It was just a freak accident, and it happened. See, but it still didn't and still doesn't make sense because the world is broken, and, and sometimes life doesn't make sense until sense is brought to it. See, here's the thing. Senselessness is only counted by God. Everything doesn't happen for a reason, but reason can be brought to everything that happens. See, hurt and suffering and pain isn't God messing with you. It's not him shaking the snow globe of your life, saying, how are you going to respond to this? What's going to happen now? Are you strong enough? If I knock down everything, where are you going to go? But it's why God has come for you. Suffering and, and pain isn't of God, but God will use and redeem suffering. Do, do you have a favorite verse in the Bible? So many people, they, they, they love, and in fact, one of mine is Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, right? If you're here and you read the Bible, you'll be like, John, it's so cliche, because it is. But Isaiah 54, verse 17, I, I don't love for the same reason that I used to anymore. 
I, I used to love Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, which said, no sword formed against you shall prosper. Right? I used to read that and be like, nothing can hurt me. I'm invincible. I've got God on my side and, and bullets going to bounce off my chest. Growing up, I had this, this poster. This is embarrassing to talk about because my parents are here that they gave me of like, I think it was called Redemption Man or Salvation Man. And he had a, a shield and a sword and I put it on my bedroom wall. And I was like, I'm him. I'm Salvation Man. Got my shield, got my sword, gonna kick some demon butt. Yeah. And his, his whole outfit was purple. I'm not sure why. Right, but, but we read this, and, and that's what I used to think. Man, I'm never going to be hurt. Life is going to be all roses because I'm a Christian. It's amazing. But, but, but now I read it, and, and I realize that suffering isn't the intention of the sword. Right? It, it says, no sword formed against you shall prosper. Right? Prosper meaning carry out its purpose. Prosper meaning do what it's made to do. Suffering isn't the intention of the sword. It's a byproduct. The intention of a sword is to kill you. See, this verse isn't saying you won't suffer. This verse is saying you don't need to die. This verse is saying that the sword, God promises that the sword will not kill your dreams. The sword will not cut your spirit. It will not maim your passion. It will not render your faith in two. That the scripture isn't saying you won't hurt. It's saying it still might hurt, but that pain, that cut can be transformed. It can be redeemed by God. See, but there's another type of suffering, right? There's this, this type of suffering, which is almost a more quiet, a, a more gentle form of suffering. It's nowhere near as profound or as painful as the sword, but, but bitterness can grow from all the same. Who here has seen the movie Old School? We're kicking it back a bit with movies. Anyone seen Old School? No? I knew that was going to go over some heads. Let me explain it to you. Right, Old School is a Will Ferrell movie, um, so it's pretty good. Uh, and in it, he has a big afro. You might remember some of the po uh, posters now. And in Old School, Will Ferrell plays a, a middle-aged man who joins a university basketball team. That's all you need to know, right? It's, it's very funny. It's, yeah, they're all kind of ragtag, you know, rags to riches. They somehow win the basketball championship. It's amazing, right? You should watch it. It's fantastic. I recommended two movies today. That's pretty good. Right, but, but in this movie, Old School, Will Ferrell plays a, a married 30-something-year-old suburban man who finds himself at this university party, right? And, and this amazing interaction happens. He's offered a drink, and he declines, saying, no, no, I've got a big day tomorrow. And, and when he's asked, man, what are, you, what are you doing tomorrow? He responds, well, um, actually, a pretty nice little Saturday. We're going to go to Home Depot, buy some wallpaper, maybe get some flooring, stuff like that. Maybe Bed Bath & Beyond. I don't know. I don't know if we'll have enough time. See, and it's this picture, this picture of, of this moment that everyone seems to remember when they watch this movie, and, and obviously people remember it because it's funny, but there's more going on here than just Home Depot on a Saturday. See, the man in this movie is bored. He is the personification of boredom. He's over his life. He's got nothing to look forward to. He's trying to drum up enthusiasm about going to Home Depot and Bed Bath & Beyond, which are not bad places. I've been excited at Mitre 10. I'll admit, it's a great place. Right, but he's, he's trying to find excitement in his life where there is none. And he has this life that is often portrayed as the ideal. Right, a, a wife, a house, a job, security, comfort, privilege, freedom, and yet it has left him bored, numb, and in a low-grade state of despair. 
his success has actually served to distract him from how deeply unsatisfied he is with his life. See, you might not have suffered a sword, a life-changing, gut-wrenching pain, and I pray that you never do. But all of us in life, somewhere, if we're not careful, our success and security and abundance can lead to a certain sort of boredom, a a numbing predictability, a a paralyzing indifference that comes from being too comfortable, a sort of suffering from wallpaper and flooring. And see, here's the thing. Our bitterness can grow from the slow, indifferent, wallpaper and flooring sort of suffering just as well. See, suffering isn't what leaves you damaged. Everyone suffers. Right, if we read this in in Isaiah 54, no sword formed against you shall prosper. If we know that we'll not die by the sword, by the suffering, what's going on here? Right, the point here is that swords don't kill you. Swords don't kill you, sepsis does. My second point is bitterness is the rot. See, what goes on here is is sepsis is the Greek word for decay, right? And and what it means is it's used to describe what happens when a wound becomes infected and the body starts to overreact. So far, far after the wound has happened, far after the sword has been pulled back out, the, the, the wound starts to fester and bacteria get in and the body starts to try and fight them, but it overreacts against the bacteria and the body starts to fight itself, Right, And before you know it, what was once just a wound in someone's arm or leg is life-threatening. What might at the most have removed an arm or a leg is threatening to remove the very life from the person. See, see in our lives, it's not the sword, it's not the suffering that will kill us. It's what happens afterwards. It's what we do with it next. Sepsis is deadly because it can continue once the infection is gone. Your body continues to fight a wound that is no longer there. And it starts to kill itself. See, suffering isn't what leaves you broken. There are people who have suffered more than us who are still going. See, it's not the cut that keeps you bleeding. It's the refusal to form a scar. When we don't let the cut heal, when we run from the scars, when we never let ourselves grieve, when we we never let ourselves embrace the fact that this hurts, but I'm letting it go. When we do that, and instead believe the lies in our suffering, when we, ally, when we allow lies in in our suffering, that's when we become bitter. See, I'm betrayed, and that betrayal would cut me deep, but it breaks me when I take on the lie that no one will ever be trustworthy again. See, see, it's the lie that gets in through the suffering that causes the true pain. A cut won't cause you to lose your leg. The infection will. The stab wound might not take your life, but the infection surely will. The danger is we let our bitterness define us. In the Bible, there's a story of a woman named Naomi. And Naomi's story takes part in the book of Ruth. You need to know two things about Naomi. The first one is that Naomi's daughter-in-law is called Ruth, who the book is named after. And Ruth is also Naomi's only family because Naomi's husband and both of Naomi's sons have died. The second thing you need to know because of this is that Naomi isn't a stranger to suffering, right? And the other thing to know is that Naomi's name means pleasant, right? That's what her name means. She was born and her parents said, what shall we call her? We'll call her pleasant. She seems like a nice baby. We'll call her pleasant. 
See, if I was Naomi, that would make me a little bit mad. Right? Because here I am, and, and I'm like, come on. Mom, Dad, come on. Here I am. I'm walking around thinking that life will be pleasant. You've given me the name Pleasant. You've named my life Pleasant. I thought things would work out. And so here I am. I'm going along thinking I'd live a long life with a husband and sons and see my family grow and have grandkids and live a happy life. And now look at me. Now look at me. I have nothing and no one, and I will die alone and shortly. See, Naomi isn't happy with her name. So here Naomi is. Her life is in shambles, and she decides to return to her homeland to the place that she grew up, in the village in which she grew up, Bethlehem. And so she sets out to head off back to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And somewhere along the journey, I think Naomi must have realized to to start to think of, of how the reunions would go, of what it would be like when she gets back to her hometown, when she would walk in the gates and, 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 and she would, how she would look to her old friends, of how everyone would run out to meet her, run out to embrace her, right, with, with their iPhones filled up of pictures of their grandchildren, how they would run out leaving their husbands back at their homes with their sons. Maybe she starts to think about everything that they'll be coming out with, and, and maybe she starts to think, maybe I can slip in unnoticed, because all I have to bring is a story of a dead family. All I have to bring is suffering and despair. After all, when Naomi left, she was full of hope. She was full of dreams. She had left with such promise, such excitement to go travel and conquer the world. And here she is, empty. See, she no longer felt like Naomi. To her, life was no longer pleasant. It was hard, and it was painful, and it was horrible, and she did not feel pleasant. And so as they draw near to Bethlehem, Naomi sees someone she used to know. Maybe they ran out to greet her, recognizing her as an old friend, calling out to her, Naomi, Naomi, is is that you? And in that moment, it was too much. Confronted with all that she had lost, with the weight of suffering pushing down upon her, Naomi responds, please, don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has set such tragedy upon me? See, she didn't want anyone to call her Naomi, which means pleasant. She wanted her name to mean Mara, and Mara means bitter. See, what's going on here is without her realizing, the cut that she had received has started to turn sour. She was infected. She was bitter. See, bitterness will seek to change your name. Bitterness will seek to take who you are and change it. It will take your nature and corrupt it. It will take the the gift that God has put in you of of excitement and turn it into just this low-grade anxiety. It will take the gift of of being bubbly with people and turn it into social anxiety. It will take the gifts that God has put in you and slowly twist them to mean something else. It will take pleasant and turn it to bitter. See, what's happening here is that Naomi didn't know what was going to happen next. Naomi didn't know the rest of the story. She shouldn't see that she would help her daughter-in-law to marry and that she would have a grandchild and that she would become a part of the line of King David and eventually Jesus. She didn't know the amazing things God had for her. Because not only does bitterness change your name, bitterness blinds you. 
it covers your eyes and stops you from seeing what God has in store for you. You can only see the moment. You can only see the hurt. You can only see the bitterness. It clouds your vision with thoughts of everything you don't have and all the things that didn't work out. And ultimately, it prevents you from seeing what could come next. See, suffering has already caused you pain in your past. Don't let it steal your future. I like how the poet uh, Maya Angelou says it. She says this, you must not be bitter. Bitterness is like cancer. It eats upon the host. It doesn't do anything to the object of its displeasure. See, tonight, what are the lies that you've taken on in the midst of your suffering? Have you changed your name? Have you become blind? See, this is why Paul says in Romans chapter 5, and hope does not put, our, put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Whenever our suffering is seen through the filter of love, whenever our suffering is seen through the filter of Jesus, it can't leave us hopeless. When we look at suffering and reject the idea that it's not God not loving you, or it's not the universe telling you that you don't matter, that it's just life, when we look at it and say, I know that life is not, no matter what, no matter what happens to me in life, I am loved, that no suffering is a declaration that I don't matter, then we change how we interact with it. See, and you might be here tonight, and, and so far all of this has been great, but, but you're not in a place where you've suffered, right? You're, you're, you're thinking still in the grandiose terms, right? Because that's what we've been talking about of people dying, of, of losing family, of, of these massive betrayals. But bitterness creeps into our life in the small suffering too. In the suffering of a friend doing something that a friend should not. In the suffering of family treating you in a way that family shouldn't. In the suffering of a dream seeming to be crushed. Of studying for that exam, trying for the first time in your life and still getting a bad grade of walking into the room and seeing all your friends in a circle talking and, and trying to engage them, but today they're just not doing it. See, we're cut a thousand times a day by teeny tiny cuts, and that's life. But we need to realize that every one of those cuts has the opportunity to turn sour. Every one of those cuts has the opportunity to let bitterness into our life, to allow a seed to plant itself and a root to start to grow up. So what do we do? What is the cure to bitterness. If bitterness can grow from suffering and if bitterness is the rot that seeks to change our name and steal our vision, what can we do about it? Romans chapter 5. We glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. See, my third point tonight is that hope can come from suffering. See, suffering happens, but suffering is an opportunity because out of suffering comes one of two things, bitterness or perseverance. See, and perseverance, perseverance is what hope looks like in application. Perseverance is what hope looks like when it becomes real when it becomes in our life, when it stops being an idea, when it stops being a word, when it stops being something that we sing in a song and starts being how we live. No, I have a hope and so I will persevere. 
No, I have a hope and so I will push on. No, I have a hope and so I will not let that define me. I will not become bitter, but I will press on. See, perseverance is hope in real life. We don't need inspiration. We don't need enthusiasm. We need perseverance. We need hope and application. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, out of suffering comes perseverance. And out of perseverance comes character. See, who God wants you to be might just be on the other side of your suffering. Not because God brought that suffering to you, but because he is not going to let that moment be wasted. See, we serve a God who is not going to let something come at you and not redeem it. Not let something come at you and try and knock you down and not turn it around. Our God is the God who laughs at the sword because he sees it cut you and says, I'm going to use that to make them stronger than you ever thought that they could be. I'm going to use that to build them up. That is going to be one of the things that they can use to change the world that they are in. You intended that for evil, but God will turn it to good. See, what's going on here is that out of perseverance comes character. Character is making the right choices for the right reasons, regardless of the outcome. Hope isn't, hope isn't a disconnection from reality. Hope isn't pretending that everything is okay. Hope isn't sticking our head in the sand. It's having the perseverance to overcome every challenge, every wound, all the pain, the suffering, because you refuse to let bitterness steal from you. Timothy Keller posted on Facebook when I was writing this message, and, and he wrote this, the opposite of joy is not sadness, it's hopelessness. See, see, joy is stolen from us, not when we're sad, not in a momentary low, but when we lose our hope, when we lose our ability to hope, no weapon will prosper. The sickness will not end in death. It's what Jesus said about Lazarus. Right? What is death? Because Lazarus was buried. Lazarus died. Jesus is focused on something beyond the grave. He can bring back life. Right? Jesus brought Lazarus back, yes, but, but more than this, hope is from suffering. See, what Jesus is saying in that moment isn't just that he was going to bring Lazarus back, but a bigger death. The sickness will not end in the death of your hope. The sickness will not end in the death of your dream. The sickness will not end in the death of the, 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 the call that God has for you. See, hope is from suffering, and this should be no surprise to us. Because our greatest hope came from suffering. It was the suffering on the cross, humanity's most brutal moment in which we attempted to kill God. Right, And in that suffering, that suffering was redeemed by God and brought us hope of all hopes. In that suffering, we found a reason. In that suffering, we found a meaning in life. See, there is no suffering in which God will not prevail and life will not be victorious. Just as I close, as I get the band up, I'm convinced tonight that Jesus wants to meet us in our pain. That Jesus wants to meet us in our, in our wounds, in our suffering, and to redeem what only he can redeem. See, tonight, you might look good on the outside. You might look like you've got it all together, but inside you're suffering. Inside you've been through some stuff. Maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe it was so long ago and so pushed down that you've tried to forget it. 
You've tried to pretend that it didn't happen, that it wasn't you, that it was someone else. It's a story you tell. But you know that in you there is a a root of bitterness. That in your life, when you go to do certain things, you shy away. When you have the opportunity to trust someone, you take a second look. When you have the chance to to step out and try something new, you, you shy back a little bit. When it's time once again to let someone in, maybe you push them out. See, somewhere in our lives, there's going to be a root of bitterness. You've been through some stuff, but in the process, a cut has festered. It's turned sour, and you're filled with poison and pain. See, no matter what, this evening, Jesus wants to take all that suffering. Jesus wants to take all of that pain and redeem it. He wants to take your suffering and give you hope. See, what's the cure for bitterness? The first step is to recognize that you need help. Recognize that you're bitter, that something happened and you're not happy about it. And it's not okay. It's not all right. You're not hard enough. You're not big enough because you never could be to move past it. It's cut you. And the cut might have healed, but there's a rot inside. There's something clawing at your insides that corrupts every interaction you have that robs from you the joy that you could have in life, that brings you instead a hopelessness. The second is to repent to God and others. We need to admit that we have this, to take it to God and say, God, I think I'm bitter. To turn to others and to say, hey, I need help with this. I think actually there's some bitterness going on deep inside that I've been denying for a long time. The third step is to renounce the lies in your life. What's crept in in the midst of that suffering? What lies are you believing that maybe you don't even realize? Little ideas that crept in like, I I don't matter. If this could happen to me, then surely I'm not worth that much. I won't try again. I won't push again. I won't dream or I won't dream that big. I'll, I'll take a chance, but only when it's a sure thing. What lies have crept in in the midst of your suffering that you need to recognize, first of all, are lies? You're not being pragmatic. You're not being sensible. You're restricting what God can do because of the lies that have crept in. And the fourth thing that we need to do is receive the love of God. Recognize that only God can fix us. See, the spirit of bitterness is is different. Lots of other spirits, there's a discipline and there's also a spirit. But, but here it's mainly just something is in us. Maybe we'll need to do some reshaping of our thoughts. But mainly we need to approach God and say, God, I've got this bitterness in me. I've got this deep-seated resentment towards a person or towards you. Or maybe towards myself. And I need to let it go. I need to release it and say, actually, God, this isn't who I want to be. This isn't who I know you made me to be. And so what I want us to do tonight is we're going to sing this song one more time, the new song that we did. And and as we do, as as we sing about bringing our all to God, that, that, that concept so often means, God, I bring you all the good stuff of me. Hey, God, I'm bringing my my good looks and my intelligence and I'm bringing my good work ethic. And over here, I'm going to leave my bitterness and I'm going to leave my pain and my shame and my guilt. And I'll keep that over here, God, because you don't want to see that as ugly. But 
He wants all of us. So as we sing this, let it be a prayer that that we're surrendering all of us. The hurt, the pain, the disappointment. We're taking it all to God and saying, God, this is what I've got. Can you help me with it? So we're going to sing this song one time, and then we're going to do some praying. Is that all right? Very cool. Hey, stand to your feet with me, and uh, the team's going to lead us.